My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida, and here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb, a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, where there is a family of quail that live outside my window, and they don't know that I'm here so I can watch them like scurrying around in the bushes. There are at least five young ones right now, cool. and they are so cute oh that's it's just cute. like sometimes they're not here right now which is good because otherwise i would just be like staring out my window <laughs> uh looking at these cute little quail oh see so in florida we're in actually the boring bird season because you know it's just it's just the locals so i see my cardinals and 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 the titmice and all of that but it's still fun i, I still feed them i'm out there every day putting feed, they're eating me out of house and home it's true. It's, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so today we are uh, very pleased to welcome Ranthony Edmonds. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Oh, hi. Yes. Yeah, so I'm Ranthony Edmonds. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the Ohio State University. The Ohio um, State. I, the, 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 <laughs> yes. the the is very important in Columbus. We take this very seriously. And mm -hmm. I, I've actually become one of those people who corrects and make sure that they add the V in conference and, and, and <laughs> notes and things like this. It's very obnoxious. Um, yeah, so I'm a postdoctoral researcher at The Ohio State University. I, I study commutative ring theory, uh, classically, uh, specifically factorization theory. Mm. And I'm in the midst of this sort of interesting transition um, where I am, uh, you know, looking into applications of algebraic topology. So I spent the last year uh, learning a bit about topological data analysis mm. and, and specifically interested in um, applying that to redistricting. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I, my, my interests are interesting or are, are kind of broad, but uh, specifically to kind of give you some keywords, community ring theory, um, topological data analysis, redistricting. And of course, you know, um, my, my general mission is to increase access to mathematics for Black Americans and, and members of other traditionally underrepresented groups in the mathematical sciences. And, and I'm trying to do that through a combination of inclusive pedagogy, um, academic research, and, and community-engaged scholarship. Excellent. Nice. And I was uh, perusing your website before this to familiarize myself a little bit. And I saw that you're also you're working on a kind of a history related project about black mathematicians at The Ohio State University. Um, yeah, like historically. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I, I think a lot of people had a lot of different reactions to, um, you know, what happened last summer with, with George Floyd and the protest um, that swept over the country. And, and one thing that I sort of questioned is this idea of, well, if we're going to try to improve access to mathematics for, for Black Americans, for other traditionally underrepresented groups, like, how do we really begin to do, um, you know, impactful work if we're not really aware of what's happened historically? And and so and I've always been interested in history. Um, I uh, I think a lot of this comes from a previous project that I'm still doing with the hidden figure story and sort of using that to to center uh, uh, discussions about diversity and equity in the discipline. But yeah, I just love math history. And so um, you know we're we're looking. I have a team um, that's very interdisciplinary. We're looking at the history of the math department specifically at Ohio State this summer and then onto the fall. So um, there's really two things that we want to do. Uh, one is, you know, a lot of the narratives of these, the pioneers who graduate from the department with PhDs, with, with, with master's degrees, um, they're kind of just hidden. There's not a lot of recognition about the work that they've done. Um, but we have uh, discovered that there are seven, you know, black PhDs who have graduated with a doctorate degree in math from Ohio State. 
And I mean, we've got, you know, two former university presidents among that mix. We've got lawyers, um, authors, um, you know, uh, program officers from the NSF, just people who have gone on to do really prolific things and, and yet are still somewhat kind of unacknowledged, um, you know, by the university themselves and then just in the wider math community. And I mm -hmm. think that there are a lot of hidden stories um, out there. And I think when I reflect on the hidden figure story, this is what made that so impactful is because people didn't know. So I think that there's just a lot of work out there that's being done by wonderful people that people just don't know about. And so what we're trying to do is to highlight and amplify those stories, one, and then two, you know, examine and contextualize their experiences at the university. So mm -hmm. what was happening, you know, when they were students here? Um, you know, what influenced their trajectories after graduation, where they went to work, if they went to industry or academia. Um, I think if we think about trying to get more people in graduate school or get more people at the faculty level, well, we should start by thinking about how we're serving our undergrads, you know, mm -hmm. who are in that actual population and how we've done that historically. So so we're, we're doing a lot of things. I'm working with um, some people in strategic communication, some people in our Office of Diversity and Inclusion here at Ohio State. Um, also, we have a connection with the National Math Alliance. So they are uh, an organization that I'm very intimately familiar with uh, from my time in graduate school at the University of Iowa. But they are really focused on trying to increase the number of uh, minorities uh, entering in, in PhD programs in the mathematical sciences. And this is pretty broad, right? It's not just math, it's statistics, it's mm -hmm. you know, economics, um, just something that requires quantitative training as an undergraduate. So uh, we're working with them, um, and we're also working with a local museum, um, the Ohio History Connection, uh, and they're a specific branch, which is, they call themselves Afro-AM, but the official title is the National Afro-American Museum and Cultural Center, and they're located in Wilberforce, Ohio. Um, and so we're working with them with some of our archival research and also our community programming. So it's, it's, we've learned a lot of really interesting things. Um, we've sort of broken up the history of the department starting in 1963, when the first black male PhD, his name was William McWhorter, uh, graduated from Ohio State up to present, and mm -hmm. just sort of you know, identifying individuals who earned degrees during that time period and interviewing them, as well as sort of contextualizing what are the big things? How did selective admissions affect, you know, Black student enrollment in general and specifically in the math department? How did, you know, the protests of the 60s and 70s impact the campus environment? So we have students who are wonderful who are helping us look at these different questions. Um, and then there's actually like a lot of cool math. So, um, for instance, the, the first black male PhD uh, from Ohio State, his name was William McWhorter, and he was sort of part of this camp along with like Axler and others that was like death to determinants. We don't need them. <laughs> Why are we teaching them to students? Um, he felt like it was a very crippling tool pedagogically in that students just used them for computations and had no idea what they were, um, and which makes sense because I, I think I've experienced that on the student end of things. Um, so yeah, he... I'd say guilty as charged there. <laughs> So, so he wrote a couple of papers for that were published in Math Magazine um, about determinant-free methods in linear algebra, and specifically, mm -hmm. he computed, came up with an algorithm for computing um, the characteristic polynomial of a matrix um, and computing eigenvalues and eigenvectors of a matrix without um, without using the determinant. Now, I say a mm -hmm. matrix. There's obviously conditions imposed upon it, but sure. um, it was. It was really cool. So, so I'm working with um, a student this summer and we are going to, we're reading through this paper and then we want to uh, sort of create a lesson plan related to that algorithm. 
um, because it, it mainly focuses on um, dependency relationships. Like, do you understand the difference between, like, given a list of vectors, can you determine if they're linearly independent or dependent? Mm -hmm. And then it requires, um, you know, and doing that via elementary row operations. So mm -hmm. it's just sort of hitting some of the high points from introductory linear algebra um, without sort of getting into the weeds of what a determinant really is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, so we're working to create a lesson plan from that. And then hopefully that'll be incorporated into back into the honors track here. It was when he taught here. Um, and, and, and sort of disseminating that. That's, that's kind of like our main goal is learn it and then disseminate it, you know, mm -hmm. so other people can, can sort of learn from, um, from, what we're, from what we're figuring out. So there's this history component, and then there's a lot of math that we're uncovering from the history that's just really interesting in its own right that we hope to, over time, you know, turn into lesson plans that other people can use for their classrooms. Very cool. That's really cool. Like, so I've done a little bit of dabbling in you know, math history and stuff. And it's always really interesting to me how much the language has changed. And, you know, mm -hmm. you'll see like mm -hmm. an abstract for a paper written it, decades ago and realize like we just talk about things differently now. And mm -hmm. it, it's kind of hard to dig down and figure out, okay, how would I think about what they're doing here? You know, they, they have these names for different curves that aren't names I use anymore. And like, yeah. how do I translate it? It's like a, almost a translation project, mm -hmm. even going back just to the sixties, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that must be really interesting. And I think that's a great, a great project for students to do. So yeah. that sounds so cool. It is. So you're yeah, very, it is. you're very busy. And, and you know, your, your list of mathematical interests <laughs> is super interesting to me too. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a ring theorist, but the whole TDA and, and yeah, so we'll, we'll have to talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I may bug you a bit after the podcast. Yeah, um, okay. but, but, but yeah, I uh, it, it is really interesting, and I think you know it's it's part of this this whole approach of just trying to humanize mathematics. Like mm -hmm. we're we're studying it, and we're we're getting into the nitty details, but we're also thinking about like how people came to be mathematicians, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and and how this has actually been affected um, historically, especially for Black Americans by policies. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. the the PhDs that we're studying about were supported by NSF fellowships. Mm -hmm. And this is a direct response to the space race that was happening and the sort of the influx of federal funding. Um, and, and so uh, it's all really interesting. It's, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm learning a lot about, um, even though it's focused on Ohio State, I feel like I'm learning a lot about the math community. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and one thing that is really cool about us is sort of how we do our lineage. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, the math genealogy websites are yeah. really mm -hmm. cool because you can sort of track back you know, very easily, oh, this person, who would, who would they have been working with? You know, I think in another discipline, if you are trying to figure some information out about a person and you want to know who their academic siblings were, that might be actually difficult to discern. Mm -hmm. But we mm -hmm. have, you know, the matching neology sites that can kind of, right. we can get those, that information really easily. Yeah. 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 All right. So the, this podcast, though, is called My Favorite Theorem. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we asked you on here for a reason. So, uh, Anthony, what is your favorite theorem? Yeah, so I, I'm taking it back, 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 back. So okay. I, I actually would say that my favorite theorem is the fundamental theorem of arithmetic. Okay. Um, and and so it's, it's very classic. And I, mm -hmm. the reason that I like it is because it's sort of the first introduction to like really meaty math in disguise, right? Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are at least aware of, of the concept of it in, in, uh, in grade school even mm -hmm. if maybe we don't get into the implications. And so, you know, the fundamental theorem of arithmetic, um, it, it says that uh, given an integer, so positive whole numbers, um, uh, greater than one, um, 
so yeah, greater than one, excluding zero, um, you know, it can be written uniquely as the product of prime numbers. Um, and that this decomposition into primes is unique except for the order. Mm -hmm. So like in practice, it means give me a number, like any number that's an integer, and I can factor it uniquely into small pieces called primes. And, and like, that's it. That's the only way I can factor this number. And it gives it like a unique signature. And, and, and it's like telling us that, you know, in the same way that atoms, right, are like the building blocks of ordinary matter, mm -hmm. these prime numbers build up the integers. And I, I, I love it because, you know, there's a lot of implications in the work that I do in factorization theory that can all sort of be traced down to this fundamental idea. And mm -hmm. I also love it because, you know, uh, I, when I talk to, to younger students about, you know, brain theory or things like this, I, I always start with the fundamental theorem of arithmetic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I tell them, you know, when they're drawing factor trees, uh, I, that, at least that's how I learned. I'm not sure how mm -hmm. you yeah. guys... Is that, do you remember you had like the number and then yeah. you, you do like the yeah. branches? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I loved doing that when I was a kid. I don't know if, if you two were also like that. that. It was kind of just like a soothing little exercise, like write down a, a big number, not too big. I wasn't sure. super ambitious, but like, you know, write, write down a number and just like do the little tree, figure mm -hmm. out, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I think I thought it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, and so um yeah, so I I usually I start off with like um when I'm so I don't want to say little kids, right? With just general like audiences, I'll I'll start off by asking people to pick their favorite three digit number. So mm -hmm. I guess maybe do you guys have like a phone or calculator handy? Uh, yeah. This could yes. Be a, okay, sure. okay. Okay. So um and this may not be as packed the same sort of punch, but like I ask people to pick their favorite three digit number, and okay. then I ask them to create a six digit number right by taking that three digit number and repeating it twice so i usually use 314 because it's like an approximation for pi i was also oh, married funny. on pi day and so oh. so 314 is is my number and then i i create a six digit number so that's going to be 314,314 yeah okay so that's what i chose three one two three one two i chose three one two okay all right yep okay <laughs> um and and so um essentially i want you to take your six digit number and divide mm -hmm. it by 11. okay okay so i have like 28,574 right now mm -hmm. um and then i want you to take that number and divide it by 13. it's amazing that you're getting integers here yeah. And so now or I have <laughs> yeah. now I have 2198. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so now I want you to take this number and divide it by your original um three digit number. Yep. And did everyone get seven? Yes. Yay! Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, so it's like this really cool thing where if you take a number, right, and you multiply it by a thousand and one. Mm -hmm. It has the effect of creating a new six-digit number that's your original original number, you know, repeated mm -hmm. twice. And mm -hmm. so essentially, because we we know that one thousand and one factors uniquely into mm -hmm. primes, which is guaranteed to us by the fundamental theorem of arithmetic, you know, one thousand and one is seven times eleven times thirteen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you divide away um, eleven, then divide away thirteen. Um, if you divide away sort of that original number, no mm -hmm. matter what it was, you're going to be left with seven. And so mm -hmm. I, it's sort of really exploiting this property of the integers. This is really cool. Um, and, and so I, I don't know. I just really love, love the theorem. Um, so why, I guess, maybe do I care about it? Um, 
<laughs> in terms of the mathematical sense, besides the fact that it's cool. Um, I mean, so it's because there's a lot of deeper underlying mathematics here. So it's like we, we have this statement that tells us, given any integer, we can decompose it uniquely into the product of prime numbers. And so, like I mentioned before, these prime numbers are acting kind of like the atoms of the integers. And so in factorization theory, this is sort of the name of the game. We're really interested in how do we decompose a mathematical object into its smallest pieces. Mm -hmm. And this is like our very first introduction to this idea. It's in elementary when we're breaking numbers into primes. And then typically, you know, when we kind of level up, the next thing we try to break down are polynomials, mm -hmm. right? And, and so in algebra, um, whatever level in which you had it, you have a polynomial and you want to break it down too, mm -hmm. right? And, and so it's like, okay, we want to factor it. And the question is, how do you know when you're done factoring? So, you know, with a prime number, you, you circle it and it's like we, are, we have our, you know, but it's like with polynomials, it's a little bit like more hazy. It's not, there's not like a list of, well, there are, but a list of just all the irreducible polynomials that, that ever are. Mm -hmm. um, and so the question is, is there some sort of fundamental theorem that exists for like the set of polynomials over the reals? Um, so like if we had something like x to the fourth minus one, um, mm -hmm. I remember in algebra that this was like a difference of squares. And so there was like a pattern. Mm -hmm. So I could, I could break this into x squared plus one and x squared minus one. And then this was always a tricky one because it was like, aha, another, another square, like x squared mm -hmm. minus one. So you can keep going. But then the question is, you know, do you circle x squared plus one or not? Mm -hmm. yeah. Is it irreducible? And it, the question is like, it depends on the setting, right? Like, it depends on if we're working over the reals or if we're allowing complex numbers. Because if we allow mm -hmm. complex numbers, then we can suddenly say that x squared plus one is x plus i, x minus i. Mm -hmm. But if not, then, you know, maybe we're done. So uh, feasibly, it's like, well, we don't want to have to come up with a fundamental theorem for every single mm -hmm. set of polynomials that exist. That's not very efficient. So, um, you know, we kind of generalize this idea of, you know, the integers um, into something, you know, called a commutative ring. And we generalize this idea of primes into irreducible elements. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that living that abstraction is what I've spent most of my mathematical career looking at, like how mm -hmm. things decompose. But I think tracing it back down to, you know, what we're really trying to do here is to come up with really nice notions that generalize the fundamental theorem of arithmetic. Mm -hmm. um, so this is probably why it's my favorite theorem, because I feel like if you keep kind of going down to just the bare bones of what it is we're trying to do, the best example, I think, is there in that theorem. Um, and I also like things that are kind of like you can talk about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of like the first real theorem you learn. Yeah. Because, right? you know, I mean, you start learning uh, mathematics in elementary school and you learn how to add and subtract it. Like there's not really a I mean, well, there are theorems there, but, or, or yeah. definitions maybe, but this one, and they don't, I mean, I, do, do you call it that? Like you learn how to do this in yeah, what, like, it, like, like fifth grade maybe? Yeah, it's really, um, you're really young, but I don't know that it was given a name, right? Yeah. Like we yeah, just, I didn't we did know it. the name of it, yeah. I think until I was probably in grad school, maybe college. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it, it is, but it is. But you still, but, but you learn it. Maybe you don't learn it as a theorem. Yeah. Um, yeah. You learn, you, you learn an algorithm, right, essentially. Yeah. Although yeah. How, do, how do, do you do it? I mean, what, what do they teach you to do? Like yeah, start, start like, dividing by primes and, and yeah. maybe? Yeah, it's like, I, I guess, I feel like at that point, like, well, this was when I was still just using a lot of memorized facts and that sure. was math to me. And so I guess mm -hmm. I had my list of things that I thought were prime. 
And then mm -hmm. maybe if they threw in a big number, I'd have to think about it. Like if they threw in like a 37, it's like, oh, wait, what's happening? You mm -hmm. know, but like 2, 11, 13, you know, we were pretty good to sure. go. Um, sure. But, yep. but yeah, I think um, I had no idea that it was like a theorem. It's just I do remember learning it, though. And so my mm -hmm. favorite things are when I'm learning something, especially in a more advanced mathematical setting, and it takes me back to like a very young mm -hmm. me who just didn't know that there was a lot more to this when I was first exposed to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And, and, and hopefully you didn't fall into the Grotendieck trap of thinking that 57 was prime, right? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, um, so like my, so basically um, I've done a lot of work looking at unique factorization. Mm -hmm. and, and so because I work with zero divisors, which I don't know that I need to get into nuts and bolts, but um, I thought a lot about what makes a unique factorization domain you know, tick, mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot about settings where we don't have those nice properties. And so a unique right. factorization domain is the is the exact generalization of the fundamental theorem of arithmetic. So mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. fundamental theorem of arithmetic, you know, we've got a setting, the integers where everything factors uniquely into primes. And in a unique factorization domain, it's a commutative ring, which is a generalization of the integers, mm -hmm. um, and the nice properties that they have. And, and it's a commutative ring um, where everything factors uniquely into atoms, right? So mm -hmm. we're generalizing mm -hmm. primes now into atoms. And so, right. um, you know, there's some really nice results related to polynomial rings, where if you have a ring that has unique factorization, then the polynomial ring extension also has that same property mm -hmm. um, and vice versa too. And so in the world that I live in, there's a lot of times where these factor, like these factorization properties don't extend. And so I mm -hmm. spend time thinking about what can we do to try to make them extend. So. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but I think a lot about factorization theory and commutative ring theory. And so um, a lot of this is sort of based on this very gold star standard of a factorization setting, which mm -hmm. is a unique factorization domain. It's like the nicest place that you can live if, where factorizations <laughs> just are really well behaved. You don't have to distinguish between primes and irreducibles. It's just a beautiful place mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I call this like the utopia. And it's, it's really mimicking <laughs> or general, generalizing you know, the fundamental theorem of arithmetic and the mm -hmm. results there. Mm -hmm. So another thing we like to do on our podcast is, is ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So we, we, we hear you might have multiple pairings, but yes. you're okay. only obligated for one. <laughs> okay, so, so originally, like, my first thought with a pairing, right, was, was alcohol. And mm. I don't really drink that much, but I do love mead. So there is a meadery mead. here. Okay. So mead is like, it's like when the, instead of fermented grapes, right, with mm -hmm. like the wine, they ferment honey. Mm -hmm. So it's like sweeter. And so there's a meadery here um, in Columbus called Brothers Drake. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they have a cousin or a, a brother, you know, another yeah. brother meadery that's in California. Um, but that's really broad. I'm not sure which part in California, but mm -hmm. they have an apple pie mead. And it's just like my happy place when mm -hmm. I do, you know, mm -hmm. partake in a little bit of a little bit of something. So right. um, I, I think the apple pie mead um, and just any mead in general, if you would like to try it, um, especially right when we're getting to history and stuff. I feel like this is like a very historical drink. Um, yeah. Yeah. You think so, of like, I don't know. I think of like dank castles and yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I guess probably a, a lot of like. Disney fantasy, you know, mm -hmm. people yeah. coming in from battles and right. drinking their meat or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot about Thor because I just am a big like Marvel universe person. <laughs> so I'm just like, I feel like Thor and Loki would just be like, you know, having some mead, um, you know, catching up. Um, 
But okay, so and then so I I was trying to think of what else would go with my theorem that wasn't alcohol. <laughs> and so because I feel like the fundamental theorem of arithmetic is like a very classic thing. Mm -hmm. So I would just like to pair my theorem with um two things. One, <laughs> sleep. <laughs> so this is like a shameless plug for everyone to attempt to get eight hours of sleep. Um, this is something that I tried really hard to do last year, and it was really crazy how much I fought against, like, I don't have time for this because mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, but it took me maybe like a whole semester and I finally am now sleeping like eight hours a night, no matter mm. what. Um, mm -hmm. and so, uh, this is a nice pairing with math is sleep because I mm. think that, you know, um, it's really good to do math when you're rested and your head is clear. Um, so that's one. And then the second would just be like nice long walks. Um, mm -hmm. I love nature. I love cycling and strength training, but you just can't beat a good walk. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, for those who are able and mobile, um, I just think, you know, taking the time to go on quick walks during the day, even if it's just like 10 minutes in between a meeting or something um, is a really great thing to do. So those are, I guess, like my classic mm -hmm. sort of pairings. Um, so what did I say? I said apple pie mead, eight hours of sleep, a walk. And a nice, and long, nice long, long walk. This sounds yeah. like this a is amazing. day. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, you've got, like, your, yeah. You, you got your bike there in the background. So, you know, what, what I was oh, opposed to. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. When I, when I, we're getting to know each other. Yeah. Well, when, yeah. I, when I was a postdoc, I was I was a very serious cyclist. I mean, I spent a lot of time. And, like, sort of it was it was good therapy for me to get on the bike. Like, if I was stuck on my math, yeah. I would just go for a ride um yeah and, and it was really you know but i lived in chicago at the time so you can't really ride in the winter yeah but, it's it's like yeah. maybe yeah that's an interesting city i guess what, like did you go maybe to like suburbs of and, i like, lived in, well, I, out there yeah i was in evanston's i was at northwestern so so that okay. was good because you could just head north and then you're out in the country pretty quick but you know i, yeah. I, I had a group i rode with and, and all that but uh just very good therapy all the way around and then yeah. I had a kid, then I had a kid and moved to Detroit and that those two things <laughs> those two things will just kill your cycling but uh. <laughs> Okay. What about what about you Evelyn? Do you have like a cuz you were talking about birds in the beginning and I see mm -hmm. that your background is like a very scenic kind of you Yes. Know. This is a, a cold day um at Bryce Canyon National Park down mm -hmm. in southern Utah. It's extremely hot in all of Utah right now. So this was mm -hmm. kind of nostalgic like <laughs> bringing some cold weather uh into it. But yeah, I I love uh biking and taking walks and stuff. We're I'm really lucky at the neighborhood I live in. Basically, if you go north from my house, which is also uphill, uh, you end up in less than a mile going into these like the extensive trail network that can get you all over the place if you're willing to go for a long walk. Mm -hmm. And it's like I live less than two miles away from the Capitol, the state Capitol building and like downtown Salt Lake. But the fact that you can get up into nature so quickly is amazing. Yeah. Um, well, it's so, right up against it. I mean, it, you know, yeah, yeah, we're built into the foothills here mm -hmm. and it's great. So yeah, I, I love taking walks in nature and I, I've never tried, um, that kind of mead but there's actually a local like fruit wine place here that has a whole mead series in addition to fruit wines and it's really cool because they have some that are sweeter and then some that are less where they fermented like all of the sugar mm. and it's amazing some of these they almost taste like a chardonnay or something mm. yeah. um because they're not like because you think of like okay like mead honey wine it's gonna be like super goopy and sweet and it's like depending on how you how much you ferment it and stuff it actually has all sorts of different flavors so yeah um it's a cool place so they they've got these i think they've got some like 
apple and honey cider mix thing so i should check those out yeah you definitely should but but i do agree that there is so many different like flavor like because flavor profiles the the meadery here you can go and do samples and they have like music nights you know pre-covid i think they're starting to resume this and like empanada nights um which is like Mm. a very personal weakness of mine um Mm -hmm. but but yeah i love like some of it just is like too strong for me right because i was i was leaning towards meat because i was like okay I don't know if I'm a hard alcohol drinker, um, mm. but it's not all just sweet. It, it's not all just like juice with, with alcohol. Yeah. It's, it's very, <laughs> um, I, I really like it. It's, uh, and, and so the last uh, kind that we tried was called Purple Rain. And um, I nice. believe the, the guy said that he, um, there, and it depends also on the barrel in which you're aging the, the, the mead. Um, but he did something like it was like uh, using some sort of like blackberry something. And they accidentally like made too much and it was like overflowing the barrel when they came to check in on it. And so he called it Purple Rain. Um, nice. So I thought that was was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, and I, I back to the cycling comment, I um, my bike was actually stolen out of my garage at the beginning of COVID. Oh. And so I was so upset. So I kind of the beginning of COVID and work from home when I realized that we'd actually be here for a while, I. I started nesting. I did a lot of things to mm-hmm. my office space. So you see this um this black peel and stick wallpaper that I put mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. it actually turned yeah. out really nice. And a I beautiful. I was I was hoping to see the rest of that picture yeah. that you're tilting mm-hmm. up now because yeah, I was thinking like that looked really cool. Yeah, yeah I, I got art. So this is um I gosh I want to say um it's this an Israeli painter um named Ite Majin um I T A Y M A G E N. Mm-hmm. And I just really love, look, he does a lot of really vibrant, colorful, mm-hmm. like, art. And so this came as a canvas. And then I, I realized when you buy canvas prints, you actually have to go get them mounted, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, can be a little pricey. Um, and then I, I, you know, I ordered this blackboard um, nice. that, that, that you see. And then, um, but the point that relates to the bike is that I also put together some shelves. There's a lamp mm-hmm. here, so you're kind of blinded. Mm-hmm. But yep. I was painting and staining the shelves in my garage, and I left it open for a little bit um, just to let the the mm-hmm. air sort of you know vent mm-hmm. um because of the paint fumes and mm-hmm. my bike was stolen i just wasn't got a little too trusting living downtown uh, you know moving mm-hmm. here from iowa you know um <laughs> it kind of learned my lesson um in the big city i guess so i got a new one and i'm still getting to know this one a little bit better mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. uh i i think we i took it out for the first time um last week mm-hmm. and i'm i have new clifton pedals mm-hmm. i i got a different pedal than i had last time and mm-hmm. It's I've been practicing just uh, getting uh, clicked in and out yeah, just yeah. at home um, because it's a little bit more challenging. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. So, yeah, I but I love being outdoor things. And um, I think it's really nice to get fresh air just for balance. And then also mm-hmm. it, it does help, I think, with math. There's a mm-hmm. tendency, I think, to try to double down like, no, I'm, I got to get this result. And then like sleep no. can happen or life can happen. Nope. But I I found that, you know, actually taking the breaks is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the number of times where, you know, you're stuck on something and then you actually let yourself sleep or mm-hmm. or so, and wake up and realize, oh, I can approach this in some different way mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, you think I, I wish I learned better from that rather than <laughs> continuing to right. Um, right. torture myself sometimes. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, this yeah. has been uh, this has been this has been great fun. Uh, so, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah. So, um, you can find me online on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. My handle is at Ranthony Edmonds. Um, mm-hmm. And I uh, let's see the with regards to the 
OSU Black Math History Project I mentioned. Um, we will have a website uh, uh, probably by September, but, mm -hmm. but in the meantime, you can contact us at blackmathstory uh, mm -hmm. at osu.edu mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in telling a story related, you know, to your time, you know, at, at Ohio State or affiliated or just you just want to tell a math story, you know, that mm -hmm. that's where that's the place to go. Um, and then I think uh, lastly, I'll, I'll start posting a lot soon on Twitter about um, another project that I'm working on just by the end of the summer related to uh, redistricting and in communities of interest um, mm -hmm. and sort of synthesizing community input um, so that when the redistricting process happens, um, at the mm -hmm. end of this year, we are taking into account communities of interest, which is this sort of traditional redistricting principle that says that communities with shared interests should be kept together in the mapping mm -hmm. process. But like, what do those communities look like? Where are their boundaries? Mm -hmm. What are yeah. what are key characteristics? We um, we would like to really we're working um, with the MGGG um, uh, uh, redistricting lab along with Ohio uh, uh, Organizing Collaborative and their independent citizens redistricting commission. Um, to really collect a lot of public input um, related to communities of interest. And so I'm focused on what's happening here in Ohio, but this is an effort happening over 10 states um, this summer as we sort of prepare for redistricting in the fall um, and, and all that's going to happen with the release of the census data. So um, I guess just, just stay tuned. Some good places that aren't my Twitter profile would be Common Cause, um, um, Validopedia, um, and of course, um, here in Ohio, um, the... Uh, Let's see. Don't let me lie. The um, OHredistrict.org. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you can find the Ohio Citizens Redistricting Commission information. Um, and mm -hmm. so this is an independent commission um, that is sort of focusing on modeling um, good redistricting practices. And, and mm -hmm. we're working closely with them this summer. But like I said, this is an effort happening in over 10 states. And so I'll start posting about this soon. Um, but in terms of not me specifically, just, you know, uh, look some things up about what's happening in redistricting, um, you know, try to get involved uh, and, and make your voice heard because um, it, it affects all of us. And um, it's really important. But uh, I don't want to go on a separate tangent. Um, this is supposed <laughs> to be like a closing plug. So follow me on Twitter um, at Anthony Edmonds. Um, uh, email me if you're interested in telling your story related to black math history at blackmathstory at osu.edu. Mm -hmm. And then just, you know, ohredistrict.org um, and Common Cause are really great resources for learning more about redistricting that's happening this year. Cool. Excellent. That is a fantastic set of resources. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. This is really great. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.